If you're a discerning person this morning, you know that there is something desperately wrong with our world. And you don't need a Bible preacher like myself to stand up here and tell you how many things are happening in this world. It's an amazing thing about the human race today. We are a very intelligent people. We are the most highly educated people in all of history. We can build a little module. We can put it on a rocket. We can send it into space, and in several years, it will land safely on Mars, and then it will broadcast back to us beautiful scenery of the red planet. There are scientists now that are able to manipulate the human gene of all things. Just last week, a scientist in China was one who manipulated the gene to extract out a propensity of her for a certain disease for a baby. And so now we have designer babies available. And yet with all of the things going on, there is a desperate need with all the education, with all of our intelligence, they still can't produce peace. They can't find peace in the Middle East. You can't find peace in Africa, in Europe, in America. Every society, every city is the same. They cannot find peace. That is because peace is the property of God. Six different times in the New Testament alone, our God is called the God of peace. Our text verse this morning is in Romans chapter 15, verse 33. It says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Would you uh, read that verse with me out loud together? Let's read it and let's speak it from as though we mean it here this morning. Ready? Begin. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now if you have a car brand that you think is just great, or perhaps you have a recipe that you love or a diet that really works for you, you just love to sing the praises of that car or that recipe or that diet. You love to brag on it. Well, this morning, we're going to do the same thing, only we're going to brag on our God. We're going to spend this entire time just talking about how amazing the God of peace that we serve really is. And so it's a great season that we're going to look at here this morning, a season of peace we trust and a season of rest. But it's not always that way. I read a humorous story this week. Ed was visiting the local department store with his wife. They had just purchased a piece of luggage and a cooler. Ed was waiting for his wife to finish the rest of her shopping. He dragged the luggage and the cooler around with him in the shoe store. A clerk asked if he could be of assistance. No, thank you, he said. I'm just waiting for my wife. At that point, the man behind him said, I'm waiting for my wife too. But I never thought of bringing a lunch and an overnight bag with me. <laughs> That's a way to find rest, huh? Just bring your cooler. Let's all bow our heads forward to prayer. Father, we thank you for the rest that you give. It's not found in a cooler or a piece of luggage, but it's found, Lord, in you. And I pray that this morning you will give us that peace that we sense that only you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul was giving a greeting to the Jewish people scattered throughout the Roman world, people all over who were believers in God and believers in Christ. He could have said anything, but he chose to say, I come to you and I uh, give this to you 
in the name of the God of peace. But not only was it a greeting, it was a prayer. And not only is it a prayer, but really it is a title. He is the God of peace. And we understand from Scripture that God is a trinity. We're told in Scripture that He is a God the Father, and He is God the Son, and He is God the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, it is appropriate then to look at how each of those would be the God of peace. I believe God's nature shows us that He is the God of peace. First of all, peace has been planned by the Father. Planned by the Father. I want you to learn this verse. This is a great verse, especially for this new year. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 now. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Say it the Lord. What does the Lord think about us today? Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. God has thoughts of peace towards you. Sometimes we wonder, is God against me? Is He mad at me? The Bible says His real thoughts are thoughts of peace. What's His greatest desire for each of us this morning is peace. What's His desire for our marriage? Peace. What's His desire for our life? Peace. God desires peace because He is the God of peace. He is not some God that's sitting up there in heaven somewhere trying to make us squirm like a worm in some hot ashes or throwing down thunderbolts at us, you know, just watching us squirm because He's just that kind of a God. No, the Bible says He has thoughts of peace. God the everlasting Father from eternity past actually had thoughts of peace towards us. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that He designed a way to bring sinful man into being joint heirs with His Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father accepted the payment of Christ on the cross as a satisfaction for the sins of humanity. That is peace. He planned peace. He planned it. There's a lot of talk today about crimes against humanity. And the left would like us to believe that climate change is the most terrible of all immoral results of conservative ideology. But the reality, of course, is that all this global warming talk is just a way by the liberals to advance a political agenda and ultimately usurp authority and control over people's liberty. You mark it down, if that kind of concept goes into place, and the wingnuts have their way, we'll all be riding to church someday. Of course, the beer trucks will keep going, and, but you know, I'll tell you this, the biggest crime against humanity is not climate change. The biggest crime against humanity is, uh, is not uh, global warming. The biggest, biggest crime really is not against humanity. The biggest crime is the crime of humanity, and we have, we have shaken our fist in the face of a holy God, in the face of God the Father who loves us, and He sent His Son to die for us. That is the greatest crime of all of humanity, and yet God the Father planned peace for us. Peace has been purchased by the Son, number two. Not only has it been planned by the Father, but it's been purchased by the Son. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him, Jesus Christ, should all the fullness of the Godhead be. And having peace, verse 20, and having made peace through His blood of the cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. He made peace 
through the blood of the cross. Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross provided peace. You'd say, well, how could a cross, how could an old wooden cross bring peace? Because it wasn't just any cross. The Bible says through the blood of His cross. It couldn't have been any other cross. It was His cross that bought us and brought us peace. At the cross, evil was not just appeased. At the cross, evil was confronted and dealt with. At the cross, sin was atoned for. It was paid for. God's great righteousness confronted man's great wickedness. And the righteousness of God won at the cross. Jesus made peace with God the Father through the blood of His cross. Thank you, Jesus, this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that He purchased our peace this morning. A lady lay dying in the hospital. A chaplain decided he would witness to her. He uh, cautiously and tenderly, not wanting to alarm her, said to her, Ma'am, do you uh, know how ill you actually are? And she said, Well, I, I think I do. They say I am dying. I don't want to alarm you. I don't want to make you feel bad, but I must ask you, do you have your peace with God? And she said, no, I don't. The chaplain said, well, I I would like to help you. May I help you have the peace of God? And she said, no. He said, well, ma'am, I maybe don't realize what I just asked you. Uh, You understand you're dying, don't you? And you need to make your peace with God. Why don't you want to make your peace with God. And she said, I actually have no need to make my peace with God because Jesus already made my peace for me at Calvary. Jesus made my peace. And folks, that's the fact this morning. Jesus Christ made my peace. And that's what he said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You've never heard a political leader stand up and say, if you'll follow this ideology, we'll have peace, we'll have rest. No, because they know they can't promise that. But Jesus said, if you'll come to me, I will give you rest. Coming to Jesus gives us rest in our minds. It gives us rest in our spirit. It gives us rest in our soul. It ultimately gives us rest in our body. Come unto me, I will give you rest. He is the peace giver. Peace has been planned by the Father. Peace has been purchased by the Son. And number three, peace is provided by the Spirit. The entire Trinitarian God teaches us that God is the God of peace. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, the fruit of the Spirit, that's what peace is. That's where peace comes from. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It is a result of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 and verse number 16, it says, I am going to the Father, and I'm going to pray to the Father that He will send you another comforter. That other comforter is uh, the word parakaleos, which means called alongside, meaning this one is going to be right next to me. Jesus in His physical body can only be at one place at one time, but the Holy Spirit can be with each one of us. That is why He is the God of peace, because no matter where we are, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We become a partaker, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, of the divine nature of God. He is the comforter. And what does he do? Well, look later on in that chapter, verse 27. 
What does the Holy Spirit bring? Peace, <laughs> I leave with you. Peace, the Holy Spirit says, I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It is the blessed Holy Spirit that gives us peace. And He tells our soul, you are at peace with God. And that's the greatest thing to know is that you're at peace with God. Since 1900, the nations of Europe have signed well over 200 treaties of peace. You want to know how many of those treaties have been kept? Well, I think you probably know from the sense of what I'm about to say, zero. It took an only an average of two years for those to be broken. From the years 1500 B.C. to A.D. 1900 in Europe, there were over 8,000 treaties of peace. And they very seldom lasted very long at all. And all the treaties and all the truces and all the things that people keep signing, they only last for a few months, maybe a few years. But hallelujah, thank God for His peace. Jesus Christ made peace 2,000 years ago on the cross, and really, He made peace in eternity past. He is the God of peace, the Father. He planned it for us, and the Son, He purchased it for us, and the Spirit of God, He puts it within us. Thank God for the God of peace. Now, there are at least three reasons why He is the God of peace this morning. Number one, He's the God of peace because He created peace. He created peace in the beginning. Let's go there. For a moment, let's take our mind's eye back to the beginning. Let's go back when the world was void and without shape, and this world was just a, a big uh, glob uh, going along. The Bible says that Jesus, God spoke the Word, and there began to be seas. He spoke the Word, and there was land. He spoke the Word, and there was beautiful mountains in the sky, and He spoke the Word. God spoke this world into existence out of nothing. He didn't take eons of time. He just spoke it into existence. And when He did, let's go across this world. Let's go from the North Pole down to the South. Let's go from the East to the West. Let's travel over every mountain. Let's go through every valley. Let's go through every part of this earth. And let's see if there's even one place where there's a lack of peace, not one, not anywhere on the earth. There's no sign of disharmony anywhere. There's nothing in the skies that say there's no peace. There's nothing on the earth that there's a lack of peace. There's nothing beneath the earth that there's a lack of peace. There is absolutely peace wherever you go. And then let's go into the heavenlies. We know that there are three heavens. There's the first heaven, which we see. There is the space, which is the second heaven. And then there is the third heaven, where God abodes. Let's go to the third heaven for a moment and see if there's anything but peace. Well, the Bible says that when He made the angels, when He brought them into existence, these wonderful spirit beings, billions, trillions, <laughs> zillions of spirit beings, the Bible says if we ever could get a glimpse that right now in this room, anytime in Scripture when you see God opening the eyes, they see angels. Right now, there are angels among us. We're even told that they are in our assembly and they're sitting here or they're somewhere, and these amazing spirit beings. Now, let's go to the heavenlies. Let's go into eternity past, and let's see that if in the heavenlies there was anything bad, nothing. He, cre he spoke the world into existence, and nowhere on the earth there was anything but peace. In the heavenlies, there was peace. God created peace. 
Let's go to the Garden of Eden for a few moments and let's look and see if there's anything that suggests a lack of peace. No, everything's wonderful. You can go and you can dip your hand into a crystal clear brook, drink the water of it, and there's no pollution. You can, uh, you don't need a, a coat because there's no hot sun to bake your skin. There's no cold, frigid weather to make you need a coat. Uh, it's balmy skies. It's forever sunshine. The trees are so beautiful. The, uh, all the, the, the birds are just singing, and it is glorious. That's exactly what happened in creation. Everything that God ever made was peaceful. He never made disharmony. He never made anything bad. In fact, when the Bible says after creation was done, God took a step back, and He looked at everything, and He said, it is good. It is peaceful. No crime, no hatred, no uh, animosity, no trouble, no sickness, no death, none of that. Everything was peace. Sometimes people talk about peace and this, and they'll blame this, and they'll blame that. The folks, one thing we can't blame is God, because God created only peace. The Bible says that He is the God of peace. Why do we know that He is the God of peace? Because everything He created is peaceful. Number two, He is the God of peace because He is the conserver of peace. Not only is He the creator of peace, but He's the conserver of peace. God is the great peacemaker. And then, sadly, when those angels fell in the heavenlies, when Lucifer, who was a wonderful angel, who was beautiful beyond description, who was incredible in His power and His assistance to God, when he sinned and when he convinced a third of heaven's angels to sin with him, all of a sudden, that was the first time there wasn't peace. God didn't create it. God had nothing to do with it. But this, these angels endangered God's peace. And so what did God do? God threw them out of heaven. He said, we're not going to have anything but peace in heaven. And so there was peace back in the heavenlies because he alone can preserve the peace. He alone can, is the conserver of peace. Look what Jeremiah 8 and verse 11 says. It says, For they have healed the herd of my daughter of my peace slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. The Bible says these prophets were prophesying falsely, saying, There's no problems, and there's, everything's good, and we shouldn't worry about if we're offending God or not. Jeremiah said, They're saying peace when there is no peace. Some of you might remember back into the 60s, and you might remember the hippies going around always saying, peace, bro. And they had peace signs on their cars or peace signs on their shirts. And let me just give you a side note about those peace signs. I've noticed they've become popular again lately. Folks, those were first used by radical, left-wing, anti-God people. And you recognize there's a lot of debate about where it really came from, but nothing good that, sign, that peace sign means. And in fact, it is a broken cross. Every time you use a peace sign, remember, you're saying the cross is broken. It means nothing to me. It has no power. A peace sign is a broken cross. But these hippies would go around saying, peace, bro. The fact is they had no peace. The fact is they uh, hurt the peace. The truth was they were living ungodly, immoral lives, impure lives. They were like those people in 
prophet's time, in Jeremiah's time, who said, peace, when there was no peace. We have groups of people today yelling, peace. There are nations today saying, we want peace. And yet they have no shame over their sins. And the Bible says, any peace that doesn't come from a repentance of sin is a false peace. Without righteousness, there can be no genuine godly peace. Wherever we find genuine peace in the world, it's because God is right square in the midst of it. That's what James chapter 1 and verse 4 says. Look at it. James, the New Testament brother of Christ, the one who was an amazing practical preacher of the gospel, he said, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Where do all these, where does this disharmony, where does this lack of peace actually come from? He says, well, it comes from among you. It comes from without. I'm going to remind you in a moment that it comes from within, but it comes from without. Among you, there is so much uh, anger and hatred and people who hate each other today. It comes from among us. Today, human life means so little. We live in a throwaway society. I read the funny story this week about a woman who had fallen out of a second floor window. She had landed in a small, slow-moving garbage truck. Here she was, woman fallen out of the second story, landed in a garbage truck, half buried in litter. She tried to get out, couldn't get out, couldn't get the truck driver's attention. Just so happened a foreign diplomat was standing on the sidewalk and saw her and began to criticize. Another example of how wasteful Americans are. That woman looks like she's good for at least a 10 another years. <laughs> and that's the way our society is. We have a society who just throws people away. The fact is, God doesn't throw people away, and people talk about truces today and ceasefires. Someone gave, I think, a very accurate definition of what a truce is. A truce is just that period of time when you stop to reload, (laughs) and that's exactly what happens in the Middle East today. There's no peace. There's no racial peace. There's no religious peace. There's no economic peace. There's no social peace. There's no political peace. There's no marriage peace. There's no family peace outside of the peace of God. The Bible says, where does wars come from? James said it comes from without. But not only to come from without, it says it comes from within. Notice the second part of that verse 1. From whence cometh wars and fightings among us? It comes from about. Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? <laughs> Why, we're, we have such a lack of peace. We get in an argument even with ourselves. <laughs> we don't even need somebody else to have a lack of peace. We are at a lack of peace even all by ourselves. Most people, honestly, especially with the rise of social media and the crazy stuff on the roads anymore. Most people are just an argument going somewhere to happen. I mean, everybody's so angry today. People are angry in their cars and are angry on the internet. Why? Because James says it. It's because there's stuff going on from without, but there's also stuff going on from within. And that's what God said in Isaiah 57 verse 21. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Nobody can maintain peace in their heart. But God can. God can bring peace. God alone is the conserver of peace. The famous author of Les Miserables, 
and French novelist Victor Hugo, a hundred years ago, wrote these words. Listen closely to these words. This was his prediction a hundred years ago in the 20th century. War will be dead. Hatred will be dead. Dogmas will be dead. I'm thinking he's imagining that education is going to cure it all. But man will live. He will possess something higher than all of these. A great country, a whole earth, a great hope. And the fact is, we look at our drugged up society, we look at our polluted, uh, immoral planet that we live in, and we have to say, Mr. Hugo, you have no idea how wrong you were. There's no peace. And folks, people, they're trying everything we can. We try new forms of government. There's more education. There's more everything. And yet we can't find peace because God is the conserver of peace. He created peace. He conserved peace. And number three, ultimately, he will consummate peace. Now, there are all kinds of wars in this world right now, all over. But some moment, in one moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, at the shout of an angel, at the blowing of a trumpet, all of a sudden, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come. And then there's going to be a thousand years. In just a few years, there'll be a thousand years of peace. Now, we don't know when that hour is going to come, but when he comes, he will not come back the same that he came the first time. The first time he came was a humble little baby. He came in a little manger. He came and was laid in some straw. But the next time he comes, the Bible says he's coming as a holy lawgiver, and he's going to come and bring peace to this earth once and for all. That's what God's going to do, and that's what he is. He is the consumer and the one who will bring back that peace. The Bible says when that day comes, they will study war no more. The Bible says the lion will lay down right by the lamb. The Bible says a little child will grab a lion by the beard and he'll lead it around like he would like a little friendly dog. The Bible says that day is coming. Peace is consummated because the enemy is crushed. And so our God is a God of peace. His trinity reflects it. His nature reflects it. God is a God of peace. We know Scripture teaches us that He is the God of peace. There is no peace outside of God. People buy everything, but they can't buy peace. People bottle everything. I saw the other day someone bottled green water, and they're paying 50 and $60 a gallon for green water in, over in the Bay Area, in the, dot, or in the, what's that place called over there where all those uh, computers are? Anywhere over there, in uh, that place. And uh, there they are. They love green water, they say, because it's living water. It's alive. Water that you get out of a tap is dead. You know, it has chlorine and whatever in it. But this is water that, you know, is just about ready to turn green with all those amoebas and stuff. But they love it. They said it's just so great for you. I'm like, yeah, only you guys would pay $50 a gallon for green water. Unbelievable. But you can package green water. You can take uh, water from Alaska and send it to someone in South America. You can do whatever you want, but you cannot ever put peace in a bottle. You can't package it. You can't sell it. Only peace comes from God. He is the God of peace. A great philosopher once said, there are five great enemies to personal peace. I loved it. I read it. I said, well, I'll tell you what, that guy hit it on the head. I 
kind of adjusted the terminology a little to be more in our society's terminology. But let me give them to you. History said that there are five great enemies to personal peace. You mark down every civilization that's ever lived. These are the five enemies of peace. Number one, materialism. When a generation becomes overly concerned with the material world, they are easily drawn in to deceitfulness of riches. As Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, peace Oh, if I could just have more, I'll be at peace. If I could just have a little bit more, I'll have peace. But it's a lie because Satan gave that concept. The most unhappy person in the world is not someone who didn't get what they wanted for Christmas, but the most unhappy person is one who got what they wanted but found out it wasn't really as wonderful as they expected. The fact is, It is that when we get so consumed with materialism, we will lose our peace. The more material, the less peace. The more we let go of material things, the more peace we give. It's just, it's just a, it's a, it is an equation. The five great enemies to personal peace, not only materialism, number two, lust. Impurity is a lust for anything outside of that which God has blessed. What is the sexual relationship that God has blessed? It is a relationship between one biological man and one biological woman that are married, legally married, and have put themselves into a covenant relationship before God. That is the only sexual relationship that God blesses. Anything other than that is not in His plan. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32 says, but whoso committeth adultery, he didn't say they were just the most wicked, terrible people. He just said they lack understanding. Not only is it against God, but really it's against ourselves. Look what this verse says. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroys his own soul. God said, look, I, yes, it's against my law, but I'm more concerned about your soul. The moment you commit adultery, you destroy your soul. You destroy it. You ruin your peace. And I will tell you, you get involved in porno, you get involved in that kind of stuff, it will just eat up your peace. It will destroy it. The only way to find peace and joyous freedom is when you are free from that kind of thing. I tell you what, people who have gotten free from that sin, they will tell you it is the glorious day, boy, just to know they are free before God. It is a tremendous freedom, the freedom from sexual impurity. The five great enemies to personal peace, the third one is envy. Envy. Envy can be really so wide-ranging. It could be someone who is discontent and resentful and aroused by the possessions of another person, by the relationship of another person, by the success of another person. Envy is terrible. We can be envious of a person's mate. We can be envious of their house. We can be envious of their career, envious of their sports ability, envious of their body, envious of their face, envious of their money, envious of their car. I mean, it just makes no difference. We can be envious about anything. The Bible says in Proverbs 14.30, a sound heart, a heart that doesn't have envy is life to the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. 
And you know what happens when we get rotten bones? That's where the cancer starts. Cancer starts in the, the, the marrow of those bones. And the Bible says that we put ourselves on a pathway to disease, not only soul disease and spirit disease, even physical disease because of envy. Envy just eats away at us. Barna Research says that the average American adult believes that he needs an additional eight to 11,000 per year to live comfortably. If I just had another 10 grand, I'd, I think it'd, I'd live a lot more comfortable. Tracking those studies, however, they showed that when the adults actually get that, they get that additional 10 grand, they find out that when they're at that point, they say that they need another eight to 11,000 to live comfortably. The point being, it never stops. Once I get another 10 grand, I think, you know what? I just, that's not quite enough. I need another 10 grand. Anger is the next thing that is a great enemy to personal peace. Joseph said something to his brothers, I think, that's so amazing in the book of Genesis. You remember his brothers were going home. These are his fellow brothers. These are the ones who are the children of Israel. They are symbols of those on their way to heaven. And he said, see that ye fall not out, by the way. Don't fall out with each other. You're brothers. Don't fall out with each other. You're going to Canaan land. Don't fall out with each other. You've got too much to do. Don't fall out with each other. We've got something bigger than your issues. Come on, don't fall out with each other. The fact is, the way is going to be rough to Canaan. The way is going to be rough to go to the Father. Don't fall out on the way. Stand by each other. Folks, we can't let anger get involved because then we're going to lose our peace, our peace personally, our peace in our home, and our peace in our church. Five great enemies to personal peace. The last one is pride. What is the middle letter in the word pride? It is I. What is the middle letter in the word crime? It is I. What is the middle uh, letter in the word sin? It is I. The fact is, folks, we have an I problem. I want this, and I want that, and I want this. I need this. I deserve this. The I problem among us is what causes all of our sins. It is the root of every other sin. In fact, in Matthew 23 at verse 12, it says, Whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. I love what one paraphrase says about that. It says, if you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. Folks, is when we just keep puffing ourselves up, now I think, I think all of us are guilty of pride to some degree or another, but the fact is I have never seen such a, a blight of puffing as I see on social media today. It is an absolute plight. There's a great temptation on the internet to puff ourselves up, and for the most part, this social media system is really about our obsession with attention. Now, folks, I know that you feel like uh, the fact that you, you know, painted your baseboard green is very important for the world to know how great you are, but I'm not so sure that we need to puff ourselves up about everything we do. I mean, I'm not against sharing things. I'm whatever. I'm not here to criticize folks, but folks, somewhere we've got to stop this. It is getting crazy to just puff ourselves up and puff up our marriage and puff up our children and puff up how great we are, all the things we're doing. Folks, come on now. Give people a break out there. 
The Bible says very clearly, if we puff ourselves up, he said, you're going to find out you're going to get unpuffed. The fact is, uh, sometimes it's pretty clear the more puffing, the more there's something going on down inside. There's something off. I'm saying here this morning, folks, if we want to have peace, don't puff yourself up. Don't be involved in pride, materialism, envy, lust. All of that stuff are destroyers of pride. If you go to a cemetery in Lodi this morning, or you take off, you go to a cemetery in, cemetery in Stockton, or any of these neighboring cities, you, you will probably find, especially if it's an older cemetery, you will find a, a gravestone, you will find a headstone that will say these words. It will say, rest in peace. I will tell you this morning, it takes more than a grave marker to bring peace to a troubled soul. Peace to a troubled soul comes when they get right with God. When we get right with the Lord Jesus Christ, we find peace. That's what brings peace because He is the God of peace. Peace doesn't come through legislation. They can pass all kinds of laws. Well, you can't say this about this or you can't do this or you got to take this statue down or you got to take this or what, whatever. You know what? I'll tell you one thing. You can pass all the laws you want, but you will never get two people to have peace with each other unless those people have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And from the inside, they get peace. Peace comes from the inside. It doesn't come from any legislation. It comes from God doing that in our life. Can you imagine what would happen this morning, brothers and sisters, if what would happen in Washington, D.C., if there at the Pentagon one of our leading uh, joint chiefs of staff there would stand up and say, gentlemen, we have come to a conclusion that the problem in the Middle East is sin. Can you imagine what would happen if they said the problem in Europe is sin, the problem in America is sin? I mean to tell you, the whole world would create, but that is the problem. Sin is the reason we have a lack of peace. We need to get right with the God of peace. Can you imagine what happened down here at the University of Pacific, that amazing institution where all that great learning goes on? Imagine one of those leading professors stand up in that class where those students are paying $50,000, $60,000 a year to go to school, to stand up there and say, the problem with America is sin. But that is the problem with America. It is sin. And the University of Pacific needs to get back to the God of peace. And Harvard needs to get back to the God of peace. And the Washington, D.C. needs to get back to the God of peace. And Pentagon needs to get back to the God of peace. And what our citizens need is to get back to the God of peace. This Christmas season, we're going to sing you know, about the peace of God and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Folks, that's a great saying, but that's more than just a saying. That is the fact. That's where we get peace. People are saying, what are we going to do about the war? I'll tell you what we're going to do about the war. People need to get born again. What are we going to do about all the racial strife and all the inequality with the, with the different, the poor and the rich in our society? It's a sin problem. It's not a it's not a poor problem. It's not a racial problem. It's a sin problem. When people get saved and when the peace of God floods the soul, things change so much. Do you have peace? Then you know the God of peace. Corey Tenboom, the great Christian during the time of World War II, was, uh, they were taking wonderful, precious Jewish people and saving them from the Nazi Germany. 
They lived in the Netherlands there, and they had a beautiful home in the Harlem of the Netherlands, and we had the privilege of visiting there. Beautiful place, amazing story. Corey Tenboom said this about peace, and I love it. She said, if you look around, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you looked at Jesus, you will be at rest. <laughs> and that's where our peace comes from. It comes from the God of peace. Do you know the God of peace? That's where peace comes from this morning. I trust that you do. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.